So I'm going to jump into week three and start by telling you a little bit about me and get a little bit transparent. Have you ever prayed before and you're praying a personal prayer and you realize I sound more like I'm talking to Santa Claus about my wish list than I do to the Savior of the world? Like, come on, am I the only shallow one who thinks there has to be more than just, hey, I'd love if you could help with this. God touched my family member like that. And I'm just listing off things I need. And, and I've thought before, there's got to be more. I, I want to enrich my prayer time. I just don't have uh, my prayer points together. In fact, uh, my prayer the other morning uh, was so shallow, I sometimes record myself. And so I transcribed one of my recent prayers. And I hope you don't mind my transparency this morning um, because it's, it's really humiliating. But this is what I prayed the other day. Um, dear Lord, so far today, I'm doing all right. I have not gossiped, lost my temper, been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or self-indulgent. I have not whined, cursed, or eaten any chocolate. However, I'm going to get out of bed in a few minutes, and I will need a lot more help after that. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. <laughs> all right. I, I fibbed a little bit. All right. That wasn't what I wrote. That wasn't what I prayed. But many of us have prayed similar things before, and we realize, like, I, I want to take my prayer life a little bit deeper than this, even when I'm praying for myself. So here's what I want to do. I want to show you how to pray through another portion of Scripture, this time out of Psalm 139. So go ahead and take out your Bible. I want you to follow along in your Bible. If you didn't bring your leather bound, then go ahead and use your smart device. Put it on Do Not Disturb. I had one guy tell me afterward, look, he could split his screen into two different apps. He had his note app at the top, and he had his Bible at the bottom. I said, come on, God, who's smiling down on you today? So anyway, listen, however you can, get out your Bible and try to follow along. If you don't have it, you can look at the uh, big text on the screen. But Psalm 139 is a favorite of many different people. If you're not familiar with it, you might be familiar with some of the classics in it, L scriptures like... Um, search me, O God, and know my thoughts, or you knit me to in my mother's womb. So I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You might recognize these. Now, I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I thought about it, and I thought it would be a fun, churchy thing to do. But then I also knew that I would bore you, because you can think that you love listening to Scripture, but you know about four verses into it, your mind turns off, you start in la-la land in really comfortable seats, you check back in four verses later. I know this about you because I do it, so maybe I'm talking about myself. I come back to and about eight verses into it, and I'm like, oh, that's really good, Pastor. And then I'm lying up in church. So I wanted to save y'all from lying up in church because I, if you're like me, my mind wanders a little bit, long-winded scripture. So I'm going to share snippets of it, but what I would love for you to do is make it your homework. Read through Psalm 139 and pray through it sometime this week. Maybe every day this week you might be blessed by it, all right? If you'll do that, say, I'm going to do that. Uh, uh, we only got a few going to do that. Come on. I'm telling you, I'm pressing the God to listen to help, to, to equip you. Come on, are you going to do that? Okay, all right. That encourages me a little more, even if some just lied up in church. Okay. But today I'll give you the Spark Notes version uh, with five prayer points I see that I would pray as I read through Psalm 139, all right? And so I just entitled this message, if you like titles, The Five. Let's go. Verses 1 through 4. Um, I'm not reading all of, four, all of the four verses, but I'm reading you 
portions from it. You check it out in your Bible. It says, O Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down and you know when I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I am far away. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it. Somebody say, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Here's my first prayer that I would pray. May you be honored by my thoughts and actions. May you, oh God, be honored by my thoughts and actions. Verses 1 through 4 make it very clear, maybe painfully clear. He knows everything we think. He knows everything we say. He knows everything we text, even if we think other people don't know what we just texted. Come on. And and, and what that can elicit in us is a feeling of either gratitude or a grave feeling. Because it's either great to know that You know, sometimes I can work on my attitude all week and my spouse didn't even notice. Or I worked on my attitude all week and my parents didn't even notice. I cleaned my room and my parents didn't notice. Or I put more effort into my studies and the teacher and professor didn't even notice. Or my boss hasn't even noticed. How many of y'all know it's a great thing? God never misses a thing. Come on, every single prayer we pray, every single time we fast, you're like, I'm struggling over here. Does he notice? Absolutely. He notices absolutely everything. And that is a great thing that he knows when you spend more time with him. He doesn't miss it when you've done better around the house. Even if no one else notices you've done better around the house, he sees you killing it. And that's a great thing. It's also a grave thing when you start thinking, He knows what I just thought. I don't even like what I just thought. I can't even believe that thought just hit my head. And I'm so glad my mind is not hooked up to a projector screen where you can see it that big because I would be ashamed of myself. Does he know everything I said? Does he know everything I texted? Oh, my goodness. He is aware of it. So it's either a great thing or a grave thing. And since he knows our comings and our goings, then why not pray and ask God to guide you today? This is one of the reasons I like spending my morning times with God, because in the morning I wake up to spend undivided attention with God and God alone. And I do that through prayer and reading scripture, and, and it's a portion of time that's just, uh, just with him. The moment I leave that place, I know, I, sure, I'm going to try to pray without ceasing, But the reality of that is I'll be doing that in a car and I'll be thinking about traffic and I'll be thinking about the people around me and then I'll be getting to a job site. I'll be thinking about the task I got to do and my coworkers and my boss is in a mood again. And oh my goodness, don't forget that birthday that's coming up. And so God is in the midst, but he's not got my undivided attention. That's why I like setting aside time in the morning. I say, God, while you and I have undivided attention, God, may my thoughts and actions as I go about my day be pleasing to you. Keep me, guide me, guard me as I walk with you today. And one area that I know he's honored in this church, because I feel honored as I look around, is he's honored by our response to the call to pray pray and fast for 21 days. Guys, I am 
an honored pastor as hearing more and more people who are saying, I'm on board, or I didn't do it last year, but I'm doing it this year, or I did this last year, and I'm taking it up a notch this year. We, we, we had people coming in prayer this week, and I was so blessed that it's more than last year because people are getting a hold of a prayer and fasting culture. And if you can't make it, maybe you live far away or maybe it interferes with school or getting the kids on the bus or, or work. That's okay. I don't want any condemnation to be upon you. But I am blessed by seeing how many people are pressing into prayer and fasting. This week, I texted my wife. I said, We've got high schoolers and college kids who have elected to wake up at 6 a.m. and show up and pray and fast together for an hour, and that blesses me. We got young people who are doing it. We got not-so-young people who are doing it, and it blesses me when a church grabs a hold of prayer and fasting. Come on. God moves mountains with just a mustard-sized seed of faith. So how much more is he about to do to touch our city and touch our families in Jesus' name? Come on, does that excite anybody other than me? And so if you haven't been praying and fasting with us, maybe this is your first time here and your first time hearing about it. Just join us. Jump on for the next 14 days. We're only seven days in it. God will honor that and also will break the fast and celebration two Saturdays from now. Not this coming Saturday, but the next one. In this room, we're going to celebrate with praise and worship with a worship night right here in this room. So make plans to come and invite all your friends. Amen? Number two, look at verses 7 through 10. Portions of it say, I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. Even if I go, like run or get down to the grave, you are there too. Your hand will guide me. Your strength will support me. Number two, I would pray this prayer. Thank you for not giving up on a sinner like me. Thank you for not giving up on a sinner like me. Jesus once encouraged a crowd by saying, a tax collector just prayed an incredible prayer by saying, Jesus, have mercy, oh, a sinner like myself. And, and, and I, I don't know if you're not sharing in that gratitude, but it's time to stop and say, we have all, including me, messed up royally, have we not? Have we not screwed up so bad that if you were God, you wouldn't forgive yourself for what you've done? And yet his mercies are not just new every morning. Not only does he forgive us, but he doesn't just keep us forgiven at an at a, um, a arm's length away. But he says, come to my table. Put on my signet ring. Put on my robes of royalty. Come sit at my table. Come be in my presence. Come sit on my lap. He draws us near to us, and he is so good to even a sinner like me. It means to me God is not scared of going up in any context that you think is too dirty for him. Just for him to reach you and to forgive you. Come on, as I look at Jesus' nature, he ate with sinners. He stood publicly with prostitutes. He had water with an adulterous woman. He entered smelly fishing boats. Probably had B.O. up in that joint. Come on. Um, he entered a cemetery of a, and talked to a demon-possessed man. Come on. There is no place that Jesus says, that's too far, that's too dirty for me to go. I just want to stop and say I was touched the other day. Not the other day, about a year ago, I got to go to Israel, and I know some of y'all did too. And um, there are portions of Israel 
that are, are Muslim occupied. And um, one of those areas is the Temple Mount where the Holy of Holies and God's tabernacle used to be. And there's only certain portions of time Christians can go up there. Now, what you'll find is there are gates entering into that temple courts, a, a number of different gates. Scripture says that Jesus Christ is coming back again. And when he does, he should be coming from the Mount of Olives, which is a, a mount nearby. He'll come down um, uh, the valley and enter into the temple. The closest door to that is occupied by Muslim territory. So when I went to the mount, the only door on the whole mount that is bricked up and mortared up is that door. And, and some of us asked, including myself, how come that door's bricked up and none of the others are? And they said, because Muslims know that Christians believe Jesus is coming back again. The Messiah will come from right there. And so they have bricked up this door to prevent him. And I thought, y'all don't know my Jesus like I do. I mean, like he's the one who the disciples had locked doors and he just showed up and kind of spooked them. He ate fish and it didn't just fall to the floor. Somehow he digested it, even though he's walking through walls. I don't get it. Blows my mind a little bit, but clearly they do not get it too. They said he furthermore, they have uh, put a Muslim cemetery right on the other side of that brick door because they know a high priest in the Jewish culture cannot touch a dead thing lest he be defiled. And I said, man, they don't know my Jesus like that because they, I, I don't see Jesus showing up going, oh, crap, I didn't plan for this. <laughs> How am I going to do this? Listen, he will go anywhere and do anything to reach us, including going to a cemetery to reach a demon-possessed man. And here's my, my jar about it. Sometimes I wonder if Muslims have more faith in our Jesus than Christians do. They're willing to brick up a door because they have so much belief in a Messiah that's going to come back. And they'll plan a cemetery just to stop Jesus from coming back. And we sometimes fret that God's not for us or that God can't do it. Come on. He will go anywhere. And so my second prayer is this. Thank you for not giving up on a sinner like me. You know, I recently got in, back into the Chosen series. And in season two, episode six, they talk about a story that could have happened about the woman named Mary, uh, Mary Magdalene. Now, Scripture does not say this happened. I want to be very clear. Scripture doesn't say it happened. But it does depict how Scripture says Jesus' nature is. And it does depict how someone might feel. What they did in the story is they suggested that Mary lost her way, her discipleship. That she backslid for an evening and went back to her old ways. And she went into wild living just for a night. And she was found in her lowest moment. And when she's coming back to Jesus, this is the picture that they described. I want to show it to you once again. Scripture doesn't say this happened, but it does show us the nature of our God. Watch this. So it's good to have you back. I don't know what to say. I don't require much. I'm, I'm so ashamed. You redeemed me and I just threw it all away. 
Well, that's not much of a redemption if it can be lost in a day, is it? <laughs> I owe you everything. But I just don't think I can do it. Do what? Live up to it. Repay you. How could I leave? How could I go back to the place I was? And I didn't even... I didn't even come back on my own. They had to come get me. <sighs> I just can't live up to it. Well, that's true. <laughs> but you don't have to. I just want your heart. The Father just wants your heart. Give us that, which you already have. And the rest will come in time. Did you really think that you'd never struggle or sin again? I know how painful that moment was for you. I shouldn't. Someday. But not here. I'm just so sorry. Look up. <laughs> I can't. You can. Look at me. <laughs> I forgive you. <laughs> from Psalm 139 look at verse 13 through 18 says you knit me together in my mother's womb thank you for making me so wonderfully complex your workmanship is marvelous how well I know it tell your neighbor right now I'm wonderfully complex okay now go ahead and reply to your neighbor don't I know it come on <laughs> Come on, we praise God, how wonderfully complex we are. He goes on to say, how precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered, I can't even count them, they outnumber the grains of sand. Number three, the third thing I'd pray is, help me see me the way you see me. Oh, we so often see ourselves the way the mirror sees us, the way our friends see us, the way a bully sees us, the way a, a, a cruel co-worker sees us, the way teammates see us. We need to see ourselves the way God sees us, that his blessings for us outnumber the number of grains of sand. We so frequently can criticize ourselves to the number of grains of sands, and yet he is saying, I just want to tell you how awesome you are. I want to tell you how excited I was when I was there creating you. Come on, I wish you could see me the way I see you. I believe God is thinking sometimes, and it reminds me a little bit of a Boudreaux and Thibodeau joke. Boudreaux and Thibodeau are like two Cajun boys, and I'm a Cajun guy from Louisiana, so 
um, they, they, this, this is set back in the day because they founded the West. I, I bet you didn't know that. Boudreaux and Jibido founded the West, and they were, they were returning back home to East and to Louisiana in their covered wagon. And uh, Thibodeau was driving the covered wagon, and he looked at Boudreaux. Uh, they noticed some bad guys were coming on horseback to catch up with him. And Thibodeau said, hey, Boudreaux, how close are they? And Boudreaux said, oh, you better get going. They're about this big. And so Thibodeau is just trying to get that covered wagon going as quick as possible. And some time passes, and Thibodeau goes, Boudreaux, how close are they now? And he turns around, and he goes, oh, my goodness, they're catching up on us. They're this big now. And he said, oh, get this thing going. So Thibodeau is just pushing it and driving it as hard as he can. And some time passes, and Thibodeau goes, Boudreaux, how close are they now? And he goes, they're, they're so big, I can't even measure it. And Thibodeau goes, shoot at them, shoot at them. And Boudreaux says, I can't. And Thibodeau says, why can't you? And he said, because I've known them since they were this big. <laughs> Come on, that's funny. I don't care what you think, right? Listen, <laughs> don't you wonder sometimes what God sees in us? Because he's known you since you were this big. And he lavishes his love for you. And sometimes we get so caught up in mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the ugliest of them all? Me. And God's saying, turn your attention to me. And we need to pray, God, help me see me the way you see me. Because the way you see me is way more kind and favorable. And by the way, it's purposeful. It's on point. God had a plan for you. And we need to hear more about what he's saying about us. Instead of criticizing yourself, ask God to show you what he sees in you. Number four, is this helping anybody? Verses 19 through 22 says, oh God, if only you would destroy the wicked. <laughs> Get them out of my life, you murderers. For your enemies are my enemies. Number four, pray this. Protect me from my enemies, God. You ever had somebody have some beef with you and you don't know why they should even know you? <laughs> they, don't, they don't even know you and they won't talk to you or they got issues with you. Come on, we need to pray for our young generation because it's never been more difficult to be raised up in this society that not only can bully you physically, but they can start group texting about you and they'll drop you out of the group just so that they can talk about you and they'll act like, you know, oh, we weren't talking about you until they're discovered. And listen, come on, it's tough on our young people. And so whether you're young or older, we go through times where people are gossiping about us or people are slandering us or, or people are attacking us and sometimes we're wondering, why are you hating? We don't even know each other. I don't know what kind of false information you got about me, but you ever walked in the room and you knew it's kind of cold and chilly up in here. What do we do? Do, do we burn them on social media? Do we, do we fight them in the parking lot? Or maybe we pray first. That's what the series title is. We should pray first. We say, God, I pray not only for my enemies. Jesus said, pray for your enemies. So sincerely bless them. God, they seem to be wounded or hurt in some sort of way that they, they've got some sort of information about me. I don't even think it's true or, or, or true. But, Father, whether they were hurt or not, would you send somebody to heal their heart? Would you send somebody to right the wrongs? Would you send somebody to steer their course into a more healthy, loving relationship with you? Because I know all things will be taken care of if that would happen. Come on, sincerely bless your enemies. But also pray, God, protect me from my enemies until that time. God, would you, don't let them hurt me. Let their fiery darts always miss. 
Give me discernment when I walk into the room on how to love on somebody who might not be loving me back. Don't let my emotions take the best of me, and don't let me be taken out by my enemies. And sometimes our greatest enemy is ourselves. So when you pray, protect me from my enemies, you might include that one too. Protect me from me, because nobody hates on me more than any. Uh, uh, no one hates on me more than myself. I, I, I'm having trouble uh, forgiving myself. I'm having, I'm having trouble uh, getting out of my own head and attacking myself. Pray, God, save me from me. Protect me from my enemies. And number five, here's my favorite one. The psalm finishes with verses 23 and 24. 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. Point out anything in me that offends you and, me, and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Here's the fifth one. Pray this. Lord, I submit my whole life to you. In other words, the psalmist is saying, since you see all, I stop hiding all, and I surrender all. Oh, I can hide my junk from my spouse, and I can hide it from my pastor, and I can hide it from my parents, I can hide it from my coworkers and my boss, I can hide it from others. But there ain't no sense in hiding it from you. I'm only fooling myself. Since you see all, I surrender all. I'm no longer going to try to hide it from you. I know you're fully aware of it, and I'd like to illustrate it like this. Many of us have flown before and traveled before, and when you've flown, you'll know that, it's, let's say you're trying to go to Denver, I'll just any random place. Um, you're not going to get there until you go through TSA. And TSA is going to make you go through a scanner, and then they're going to pull out their metal detector wand. And it feels like it's a Sith who's going, zoom, zoom, zoom. come on, doesn't that sound as intimidating as it is? You're like, come on, man, I, I, I ain't got nothing. And please step to here, and, and, and you're like, please don't beat now. Please don't beat now. Don't send me into that back room. Because what we, do, what we know is you're not getting there unless you go through here. Now, you can make a big fuss about it. I, 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 I wanted to get an actual metal detector, and then I just went into my daughter's room and stole her lightsaber. So forgive me. It gets the point across. You can hate the process, but you're not getting there unless you go through here. You can, you can balk about it. You can fuss about it. You can have a bad temper about it. You can argue about it, but the fact is you are not getting there without going through here. And what I love about this, is what the psalmist says, is it reminds me that God search me, oh God. You know, some people are new to faith or maybe you haven't even uh, put your faith in Jesus just yet can sometimes ask, why do people during worship raise their hand? Well, in a lot of ways, we're doing something very similar to when we go through a TSA agent. I've got nothing to hide, God. I surrender. I worship you. I'm not looking to fight you. I'm not looking to argue with you. In fact, we're even kind of lifting him. That's what I think about. I'm going to lift you up with my hands. I'm going to surrender to you. And, and, and I give you allegiance. I give you proper authority. I, I give you my worship. It's like going through the scanner and you're just like, search me, oh God, and know my heart. You're not searching metal detector, but you are searching 
my secret thoughts. And I'm not fooling you, and I'm not getting there without going through here. And, and the there that we all want to go to is heaven. I don't believe there's a person alive who wants to go to hell. I believe people want to go to heaven, but the problem is you're not getting there unless you go through here. It's called an examination, and our Bible calls it a judgment seat. Let me show it to you in your Bible. Romans 14.10 says, remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And at that judgment seat, you're actually going to be asked two questions. People, sometimes Christians believe it's only one, but our Bible says different. Your first question you're going to be asked is, what did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? Depending on how you answer that question determines how the second question will go. You could either say, you know, I didn't do anything with him. I tried to live my own life, do my own thing. And you're going to find that that's not going to go well with you. Or you could say, I made him my Lord and my Savior, and I asked him to forgive me of all my sins. But here's the second question. The judgment says that there's going to be two piles of books that you're going to see when you get there. There's going to be a pile of books, plural, and then there's going to be a pile of one book, singular. Let me show it to you in Scripture. Revelations 20, 12 says, I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. So there's the judgment. Now, pay attention to the singular and the plural on the books in this next sentence. And the books, plural, were opened, including the book singular of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. So what is recorded in the books? Everything you've ever done. Every thought, every action from you when you were a little kid to when you entered into that place. All of your life has been transcribed in the books. And somebody says, uh-oh. <laughs> now, I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I do know which book, which pile I want to be judged by. Because the other book is a singular book. It's called the book of life. And the Bible says anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And the Bible says that your name is written in the book of life. I think of it a lot like a reservation book at a restaurant. If your name's in the reservation, you're going to get into the seat you want a whole lot quicker. If not, you're going to be waiting a long time. Now, I don't think there's any sort of purgatory in the afterlife, which means that you're not going to be excited about your answer if your name's not in the book. Because here's how the second question will go. Is your name written in the book of life? If they see Drew Frider, no need to talk about the books. You've already asked Jesus to cover them by innocent blood. I, I see no wrong held against you. Come and be with me in paradise. We bypass the books. And some of us go, oh, thank you, Lord. If your name is not in the book, they said, well, then let's open the books and we'll go line by line. Since you believe you were worthy on your own merit to enter into heaven. The Bible says we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. No man is worthy to enter the kingdom of God except by Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. So I want to close by asking, would you pray the fifth prayer? Lord, I, I, I surrender my whole life to you. With every head bowed, every eye closed, examine your life right now, and if 
today were to be your last, which pile would you be judged by when you stand before God? That determines on if your name's in the book or not. How do I get my name in the Lamb's book of life? By calling upon the name of the Lord, asking Him to forgive you of your sins. And the Bible says He is faithful and just to forgive you of them all. Your name is written. I'm not going to call you forward and I'm not going to embarrass you, but I don't want you to be embarrassed when the day comes that you'll stand before the Father in heaven. And you can make a difference today just by your faith. You can't do anything except put your faith in Jesus who is the Son of God. And when he died on that cross, he died to pay the price for every sin you've ever committed. And if you believe in that, the Bible says your name gets written in the book. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, no embarrassing anybody in here but you getting free today. I don't want you to leave the way you came. If you're in this place, you say, that's me, Pastor Drew. I want to surrender my life to God, whether it's for the first time or maybe it's the 15th time. But you're saying today, I'm giving him my whole life. Come on, without hesitation, just throw your hand high up into the air. No one's looking around except for God who sees your faith. I see you and myself as well. Come on, I'm so proud of your courage. I'm so proud of you making the decision. If you're online and you say, that's me. I want to give my life to Christ. You could write that in the chat. I'm in too. And we're going to connect with you. And what I'm going to ask is the whole church to pray along with you. Romans 10, 9 says you have to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And you will be saved. And I'm going to give you some words to pray to put it in your mouth. But I can't make you believe it in your heart. That's a decision only you can make. So I'm asking you to believe every word as the whole church will pray along with us, repeating after me. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. I know I'm a sinner. I've done some stupid things, and I ask you to forgive me of them. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. And when he was beaten and bruised, when he died on the cross, he was doing it to set me free. Jesus, I receive your forgiveness today. Thank you for a brand new start. And as I start over today, I give you my life. I want you to be the Lord of it, that I can walk with you and honor you all of my days. In Jesus' name I pray. And the church said, amen and amen.